Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Many of us have, at some point in our life, we've been alongside a loved one, a friend. We've been alongside them in their final days and hours of life this side of eternity. It could be in a home setting, a hospice care, or it could be in hospital. Some hospitals will put a special sign on the end of the bed or on a curtain or on the door to let others know that the family has decided that life-saving measures are done and the, the person is on a hospice care time. In those moments, we can relate to what Billy Graham said, I'm not afraid of death itself. I'm not looking forward to the dying process. We were in the hospital with Jennifer's grandmother in her final days and final hours. And I I remember as we are in this deeply emotional time, I saw on one of the tables in the hospital room, likely left by a hospice care worker, there was a, a brochure. And this brochure outlined what to expect in the final days and final hours. In a matter of fact way, this brochure explained what would happen to the body physically, a shutting down, what to expect in the final days and hours. And if you walk through this with someone who you know and you love, you know it is a time filled with emotion and goodbyes and wondering what they're, they're still able to perceive. And at this moment of very deep emotion, we see a series of physical events that in reality are very routine. With significant accuracy, this timeline unfolds. What you also may have walked is through these mile markers. We don't know exactly when the final breath, this side of eternity, will happen. There are times when the family's told that it's urgent, it could be any minute, and people drop everything, sometimes fly across the country, believing that it's going to be any moment to be there to say goodbye, and then, then grandma lives for another three, four weeks or months. Other times, it appears that it's not urgent, and then things change very rapidly. There's great accuracy in knowing what the human body goes through as it approaches physical death, but the when, the when is always up to God. The great hope that we have for believers and as believers is that at the other side of physical death is eternity, unfiltered, uncorrupted in the presence of God. No more pain, no more suffering. So this is where we begin a new series called Before the End. Before the End. Just as we know with great accuracy what happens in the physical body before life ends, this side of eternity, the Bible lays out with great accuracy what will happen before Jesus returns. 
and we'll see that Jesus actually describes his return as the end. Jesus does not tell us when he will return, but he does tell us what to expect. Now, Jesus returning, this may be new information to you. And I always try to mention this when we get on this topic. I remember being a brand new believer in Christ, and I don't know if I was just asleep at that time whenever it was discussed in church as a kid, but I remember as a new believer right out of college, uh, uh, the pastor talking to me about uh, the second coming of Christ, Jesus returning, and I'm like, wait, what? just stop and you have to break this down for me. Very simply, Jesus came a first time, the first time, and it was the most humblest of circumstances. Jesus was born in the manger to Joseph and Mary. When Jesus returns, it's going to be very different. Perhaps best summarized in 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And here's the good part. And so we will be with the Lord forever. For three Sundays, we're going to look at three specific things that Jesus says will happen before the end. And our desire is not to live scared. We want to be prepared. If you've got your word with you, I invite you to open up or power up to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 records what was at the time a private teaching between Jesus and his disciples. When we say the end, what do we mean? Well, the end is not a phrase that I came up with. It's a phrase that Jesus uses, not just once, but several times. If you were to look through the words of Jesus, you'd find him saying phrases like, stand firm to the end. Jesus says the harvest is the end of the age. Then the end is still to come, Jesus says. Then the end will come. And Jesus talks about enduring to the end, going through it without giving into it, remaining firm in difficulty, remaining firm in confusion, remaining firm even in suffering. Jesus says, I'm telling you about this ahead of time. I'm warning you about this before we get there. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 13, the one who endures to the end, the end, the one who endures to the end will be saved. We want to be ready. We want to be aware so that we can endure until Christ returns. And the question we all want to ask, <laughs> when, when is this going to happen? And Jesus says concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. If you have questions about what will lead up to Jesus returning, you have something in common with the disciples who were with Jesus when he walked the earth in public ministry. Look, at with, look with me at Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of 
the end of the age. It's not a big public setting. It's not thousands gathered on a mountainside. It's Jesus and his closest followers. And in this in this uh, moment in history, they're not walking down the road having a conversation. They've, they've stopped. They're sitting on the hillside. They're sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives having this conversation. And you have to remember that at this moment in history, Jesus has been trying to help his closest followers understand what's going to happen with his death, with his resurrection. And, and up until the final hours before the crucifixion, Jesus is still trying to help them understand and they, they still don't get it. So they certainly, the disciples do not fully grasp the magnitude of Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and then his promised return in the way that we understand it today. So you ask, they ask, what will be the sign? What will happen before the end? And as we begin this conversation, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with me? I'm here today and, and I have tension in my marriage. I have a financial crisis. I am struggling at work. There are people we're not getting along. I'm dealing with anxiety, with depression. What does this have to do with me? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus says, when he returns, it will be like in the days of Noah, like Noah, Noah's ark, that Noah. Jesus says, when he comes, it will be like in the days of Noah. When the global flood happened in Noah's day, the Bible tells us that people were eating and drinking and thinking all about their relationships, which means that they were just going through their daily life when the, the great flood that covered the earth happened. Jesus says, it's going to be like that. When Jesus returns, it's, people are going to be just going about their daily life, eating, drinking, and thinking about relationships. And there are many who will be ignorant about what is going to happen. Jesus says when he returns, many will not be ready. They will have ignored the warning signs. It could be at 10 minutes from now, it could be 10,000 years from now. What Jesus wants, from those of us who call, ourself, call ourselves his followers, he wants endurance. As we look at the words of Jesus, what we see is that increasing difficulty and deception will precede Christ's return. We already know in life, we are in better position to face difficulties and challenges when we have a heads up they're coming. As I shared with our previous two services today, we are still newer in Oregon. And uh, something we've not done is whitewater rafting. And those who've come before you have assured me that there is whitewater rafting in Oregon. Where, where does one go whitewater rafting in Oregon? The Rogue River, the Chutes. Now, it's interesting. Some people, they never come up to me afterwards and say anything about the message. But today they came up and said, now, if you really want good rafting, Pastor. <laughs> okay, so it's been a while since I've been whitewater rafting. But what I do remember, I think it was Colorado River like 20 years ago. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is still the practice. 
when you go whitewater rafting, it's not like you drop your raft in and then you just hit rapids for like two or three straight hours. No, you get in the water, usually at a calm place, and you launch off, and it's, you go through calm water, then you hit rapids. Then calm water, then you hit rapids. And, and what I remember is that the guide, as we would approach a next set of rapids, we would find like a turnoff or a calm uh, area of calm water, maybe hold the rafts together, and the guide would tell us what to expect as we were going to go through the next rapid. He, he'd say, okay, you want to, in this rapid, it's very important that you stay to the left. If you go to the right, you're going to get stuck or you're going to be upside down. You want to stay right side up, you stay to the left. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. So what we already know from life is that we appreciate having a heads up when difficulty and challenge are coming. Jesus gives us a heads up. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be prepared mentally, physically, and spiritually for the return of Christ. We are better prepared to not fall into the trap of deception if we know what attempts are going to be made to deceive us. The disciples ask, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And right away, where do we want to go? We want to get into the wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, we want to talk about all that stuff. Have you ever overlooked what Jesus says before he gets into that? Before Jesus gets into wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famine, persecution, earthquakes, before he says all of that, look at Matthew 24, verse 4 and 5. This is the first thing he says before we get into a span of talking about the future that's, that covers two chapters in Matthew. Before he says any of that, Jesus says this, Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, and Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. So the question, what will be the, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The first thing that Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Your translation may say, be careful, watch out, don't let anyone mislead you or deceive you. <laughs> For Jesus to say, see that no one will lead you astray, what is going to happen? People will try to lead you astray, intentionally or unintentionally. A trend that is leading people away from Christ and Teenagers, I know you've just been like loaded with church content the last few days. This is something that's coming after your generation especially. A trend that is leading people away from Christ has been labeled deconstruction. Deconstructing faith. And I want you to be aware of this. There are, now there are a few different ways that people are using the term deconstruction as it relates to faith. So I want to be sure that we're on the same page with what we're talking about today. We're talking about a deconstruction where you place yourself above God and you take apart biblical truths and then reconstruct a belief system based on your own attitudes, your own opinions, and your own research. 
Now, deconstruction, it may begin with a very sincere, honest question about an aspect of faith or doctrine. And then when a person doesn't find the answer they're looking for or a church person gives them an overly simplistic answer, there can be a path of questioning, doubt, and potentially an all-out rejection of faith. Now, church, I want you to, he to hear this. We are all for digging into God's word, mining for the truth, allowing God's alive and active word to speak to our hearts and our lives. We are for unpacking the Bible, understanding what it meant in the original context, understanding why it's important for us today. We are all in on that. that that's what we do every Sunday, every Wednesday. In fact, as a former journalist, I fully appreciate when the book of Acts tells us about the people in a city called Berea. And what the Bereans did is they listened to the teaching of Paul and then they went back to investigate what Paul said to see if what he was saying actually matched up with the truth, with the word, with scripture. So church, investigate, read the word yourself, search, ask questions, don't settle for simplistic answers when you want more. The Bible will stand up to your searching. The Bible is faithful to, to provide answers when you investigate. Now praise God. We teach preschoolers the Bible. And I see some of my, our great, great kids leaders out here today. We teach preschoolers the Bible at a level that they grasp. As an adult, you need a greater understanding of the word. Your faith as an adult will not stand on a preschool level understanding or preschool level knowledge of the word. So, yes, if you're trying to get answers to the great questions of life from a preschool understanding of the Bible, you are going to come up short because it's for three-year-olds and you're not a three-year-old. We need adult-level understanding of the Word. Going after understanding of the Bible is a lot different than taking apart the Bible and, and building our own belief system. One article on deconstruction that to me felt very pandering, it essentially says, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to your pastors and your Sunday school teachers. They did the best with what they know. And they just, they didn't know better. But now you know better. You've taken some science classes and You've read some things, so now you're much smarter than your pastors and your youth leaders and your Sunday school teachers. As a result of taking those science courses, now you are well equipped to take apart the Bible and you on your own determine what's valuable and what's fantasy. You decide what's relevant and what can be dismissed. You know, you know better. Take the Bible apart, make it your own. If we are going to endure until the end, we must guard ourselves against any path that recommends placing our limited knowledge above the knowledge of an unlimited God. <laughs> if, you're reading some, if you're reading something or listening to something, uh, watching something, and the person who's speaking starts to make inferences that you are smarter than God, that you are smarter than the Bible. Something should go off in your spirit. We have to guard our heart against those who claim to be smarter than God. 
and the Bible directly addresses this. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21, what sorrow, what sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, I am the first to say there are a lot of people who are smarter than me. I am often far from the smartest person in the room. But here's what I do know. No high school, college, or university worth attending is teaching from curriculum that was produced 50 years ago. If you were to go into your university class where you're paying hundreds of dollars a credit hour, and you were to be handed the curriculum and it was a textbook from 1953, you would say, what is going on here? This is not what I, this is obviously outdated material. Curriculum that is considered current today will be outdated by next semester. This has stood the test of time. This has endured the generations. God's word has endured the centuries. Scripture, scripture endures and proves itself true through the generations. Have you ever stopped, like, stopped to think you're reading something and it, like, it's as if it was written this morning for your life situation today and then you realize that it was written by David more than but 3,000 years ago? <laughs> the word is alive and active. And putting self above God, this type of deconstruction that we're talking about this morning, often involves rejecting Christian beliefs that go against culture and settling for a more comfortable version of Christianity that aligns with popular views. Hey, we get it. Culture comes right up against what God's, God's word says about sin. Culture comes right up against what the Bible teaches about heaven and hell. Culture comes right up against what the Bible teaches us about sexuality and gender and marriage and life in the womb. Well, it may be easier for a season to go with the flow of culture. Following Jesus has never and will never be about going with the flow of culture. Following Jesus is not a path to popularity. Jesus was not concerned about how popular you are. His concern, see that no one leads you astray. Now, if you were a Christian child of the late 90s and 2000s, there is a high probability that you have a CD somewhere in a box from the band Skillet. And Skillet, is, they're still bringing it, man. They're still at it today. Their front man of Skillet, John Cooper, he recently called out this trend of deconstruction. I want to read some of the, of the things that John Cooper said, quote him directly. John Cooper, front man of Skillet, 
says it's time that we declare war against this deconstruction Christian movement. There's nothing Christian about it. It's a false religion. And listen to this, formerly Christian people who have tried to tell all these young folks that they have found a third way. Their third way is this, it's okay if you're into Jesus, just don't be into the Bible. I'm here to tell you young folks, there is no such thing as loving Jesus, but not loving his word. And we wanna give space today to face the reality that sometimes people begin to move into deconstruction as a result of abuse, as a result of neglect, as a result of rejection in the church. So it, I understand, we understand, it's very understandable when hurt occurs within the church that it opens up a path to turn against what the church is supposed to stand for. Just because someone teaches the Bible does not mean what they did to you is biblical. If you are coming out of brokenness, even brokenness that has happened within the church, there is a path to restoration. It's time to press into Jesus. He offers the best path forward. Many would have a testimony of that in this room. That they had reason to turn their back, but they decided instead to press in. And it's, they would say it's made all the difference. Jesus is so concerned about his followers being deceived and misled that he comes back to this warning about being led astray. He comes back to it two times in Matthew 24 and 25. Let's look at Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. False Christs, false prophets. There will be pretenders who claim that they are the one who's been sent by God to save. Or they will claim that they have, a, have the path and it's a different path than the path that Jesus gives. Some of us are familiar with this scripture. We may not grasp how confusing this is going to be. We may not grasp how enticing this can be. Here's what I mean. In times of trouble, you and I, we look for a rescuer. If you were to be at your home this afternoon and there were, there were to be a medical emergency and you called 911, you are calling 911, why? Because you need a rescuer. You need an answer now for whatever the medical emergency is in your home. And you are praying for that, well, you're praying for God to intervene and you're praying that that rescuer gets there as quickly as possible. And when that rescuer arrives... You are not asking them, what church do you attend? You do not ask the paramedic for their doctrinal position on this or that. You do not ask them who they voted for in the last election. You know that they are a paramedic and they're there to save life. You need a rescuer in that moment. It's a desperate moment. When we're in desperate moments, we're looking for whoever will come on the scene to provide rescue. So in the spiritual sense, as confusion in the world increases, as things become more chaotic, as natural disasters increase, as tensions between nations escalate, people will be looking for an answer. 
They'll be desperate for someone to have a path forward. And what does this create? It creates an environment that is primed for someone to take advantage of people's desperation. And so what does Jesus say is going to happen? Jesus says, false Christs will rise. False prophets will rise. This, these are people who are seizing on the moment, taking advantage of the moment to say, I'm the way. Follow me. And false prophets will say, go to that person in the city. Go to that person in the wilderness. False prophets. False Christs. Jesus says you can even expect to see great signs, things that look like miracles. But what is occurring supernaturally are not miracles from God. They are events from the enemy. There is not and there will not be multiple messiahs. One messiah. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I've yet to have someone come up to me and introduce themselves to me as a false prophet. Like, this is my occupation, this is what I do. It's not that overt. It's, it's subtle and deceptive and covert. A false prophet is someone who uses influence, uses authority, attractiveness, or celebrity to point people away from the reality of God, away from the reality that sin separates us from our loving Heavenly Father. A false prophet points people away from the need for Jesus Christ to restore you in relationship to God. Now sometimes the false prophet is just as deceived and so they are acting unintentionally. Maybe even they think that they're doing what's right. How wicked it is if they are acting intentionally. How depraved it is for a person to stand in a pulpit and preach, knowing what the word of God says, and preach something in contra that contradicts the word. How depraved. In the initial setting, remember, Jesus is not talking to believers on the fringe. He is talking to the closest of close followers, and he looks them in the eye and he says, see that no one leads you astray. What does that tell us? Even those of us who are, would say we are close followers of Christ, we run the risk of someone coming after us, attempting to lead us away from the truth. Before Jesus talks about wars, rumors of wars, kingdom and kingdom, nation against nation, earthquakes, famines, and persecution, before all that, Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. I want you to look at these world events through the lens of eternity for just a moment. When you think about wars and rumors of war, nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, and persecution, through the lens of eternity, as terrible, terrible as all those things are, all of those things are ultimately temporary. But don't miss this. Do not miss this. To lead someone astray, to deceive them, has eternal implications. Convincing a lost person that they are free from the consequence of sin, it's an atrocity. An atrocity. It is a great depravity. Atrocity means extremely wicked, brutal, or cruel. 
It is cruel to tell someone that they are right in God's eyes when they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is a sin to give someone a false eternal security. So what is the best defense against someone leading us astray? Understanding biblical truth is the best defense against false prophets. There are writers, pastors, evangelists, teachers, musicians, bestsellers who will use language that sounds Christian. They may even include principles that are spiritual and moral. But if you know the word, if you know your Bible, you will be able to see where they begin to split off into what is at odds with God's word and his truth. And it's so subtle, so covert, so deceitful, so not in the open. If you are listening, watching, reading something, and, and it says the Bible says, and there's a check in your spirit, what's the great thing about the Bible? If they say the Bible says, and it's like, ah, let me check. You can check to see if the Bible says that. And you can also check to see if they are using whatever it is they say the Bible says in the right context. Some of us have been there. And they'll say, yes, the Bible does say that, but you have just used that completely out of context. Thank God that we have access to his word. We have more access to the Bible today than at any other time in history. False prophets will mislead people by twisting the truth. You need to hear me on this, okay? There are times as Sunday school teachers, as small group leaders, as pastors, when we can approach the word with prayer, with preparation, and with a heart to point people to Jesus, and because we are flawed people with limited knowledge, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we get it wrong. We believe in grace for those areas. We're not about running a Sunday school teacher out the building because they have approached the word with sincerity in their heart and they've made an error. We have grace for that. We want to teach people. We want people to grow. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who intentionally mislead people for motives other than pointing people to Jesus. Do not settle for less than biblical truth. Why is it all worth it? Why, why endure? Wouldn't it just be easier to not endure? Wouldn't it just be easier to just go with the flow of culture? Wouldn't it just be easier? Why, why endure? Why do it God's way? Why live according to what Jesus says? Why stand on biblical truth when standing on biblical truth puts us at odds with culture? Why, why do it? As we wrap up today, look at what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Or just hear me read it. Jesus brings the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, 
will he find faith? When the Son of Man comes, what will he find in Oregon? When the Son of Man comes, what faith will he find in Salem and our surrounding cities? When Jesus returns, what faith will he find in your household? When Jesus returns, if he were to return today, what faith would he find in your own personal life? Will Jesus find faith? We do not want Jesus to find a church full of excuses about being led astray. We do not want Jesus to find a culture full of believers that think and live the same as the surrounding corrupt culture. We do not want Jesus to find a church where we have to provide explanation for why we've deconstructed his word and made it something that it's not. Romans 13, 11, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, wake up, wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. May Jesus find a church that has endured to the end. We've got our praise choir here today. Praise mob with a B. Earlier they thought I said praise mom. Praise mob. Come on out, guys. What's on the other side of endurance? 1 Thessalonians 4, what's on the other side of endurance? The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, our left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and will be with them forever in heaven. What's on the other side of endurance? 1 Corinthians 15, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That's what's on the other side of endurance. What's on the other side of endurance? Revelation 3, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We know that he's coming back. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.